Hello, and welcome to Champion Casters, a podcast about heroes and craft, where we analyze the motifs and themes behind your favorite film and television heroes, and everything we say is in Comic Sans. My name is Michael Ruiz. And my name is Joe Tomlin. I am a co-host, or maybe I'm the host. <laughs> We're going to change our title every intro. Every single time. <laughs> uh, but Joe, I got a question for you today. Sure. Answer me this, okay? Do you really, do you really want to taste it? Do you want a shortcut to your dreams? When's the magic start? <laughs> this is unfair that our our question that began as just a segue to our conversation has just become a shitpost this season. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I'm perfectly okay with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at very least a shitpost about a banger opening. <laughs> That's true. Um, for, for those of you who don't know, if you're listening to this episode and haven't watched Peacemaker, go watch it. Um, this is going to be mm-hmm. a spoiler-filled episode. But yeah, we are referencing the intro song, the the straight-fire intro song to Peacemaker. So yeah, we're really excited to talk about it today. It's definitely a show that like I think I had a whole journey while watching it to being like, okay, this is just another DCEU show, which was very crass and bold and... or. Very much owning the fact that, like, hey, we're R-rated and we're not the family friendly, family friendly thing that is Marvel. And we're just gonna have, we're gonna say fuck every other sentence, basically. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of came to at the end of it was like, okay, actually, this series might be weirdly the best, the best DCU series right now, a uh, live action one at least. What other DCU series is there? It's not, it's, I guess it's like, I'm thinking of the, all the shows that have coming out also with this very specific type of like graphic uh, mindset. And I'm thinking specifically of the Harley Quinn show. Like Harley Quinn, Titans, uh, Doom Patrol. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I think s- of all those, I think Harley Quinn's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. Undercut and Peacemaker already. But, um. um yeah, you know, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but yeah, you know, with no, with no further ado, Joe, do you want to start give us a little bit of, uh. A little bit of background on Peacemaker? Sure. So our story starts with a movie called The Suicide Squad, which is essentially a reboot of the movie called Suicide Squad. So the <laughs> reboot movie called The Suicide Squad was written and directed by James Gunn. You might remember that guy because he did Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and Volume 2 um, for the Marvel Universe. Now, when James Gunn was... Uh, momentarily fired by disney because a bunch of alt-right trolls dug up some very bad things he said about a decade ago um Mm -hmm. disney was like well that's not family friendly Mm -hmm. well we could get into what disney thinks is family friendly later but um they fired fired him and in the four month spirit period that he was fired he got picked up by warner brothers real fast and they said hey do you want to reboot suicide squad because our movie sucked uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so he's like sure i have pitch um, and he did that. And then Disney was like, okay, we want you back. Now he's doing volume three. But after the Suicide Squad, um, one of the characters in that show, Peacemaker, played by John Cena, um, he is an assassin who is, uh, as James Gunn describes him, douchebag Captain America. Basically, <laughs> he believes in peace, no matter how many men, women, or children he needs to kill to get peace. Mm-hmm. So kind of a jingoistic approach at uh, the American idealism and the way it approaches war. Mm-hmm. But James Gunn, while writing The Suicide Squad, was like, hey, maybe 
this character could be a bit more nuanced than that because this is kind of what he does with characters. He's like, this person's a piece of shit. Let's add another layer to them. So the basic plot of this show is that the Earth is being invaded by alien species uh, that are basically parasitic butterflies that overtake a human host body. So, of course, they take over politicians and other influential people. Amanda Waller um, assigns a team, including her daughter. <laughs> and Peacemaker, basically a bunch of rejects who then are being told to take out these um, these aliens under Task Force Butterfly. The show kind of pitches itself as a workplace comedy where they all bicker together. And to make matters worse, they're stuck with Peacemaker, who's a douchebag. Um, <laughs> and then on top of that, he's constantly insecure about himself and the way in which other people perceive him. He's got daddy issues. We'll get into that later. It is also grappling with like whether or not he actually wants to commit acts of violence um, due to some mm. t- due to a specific event in um, in the movie The Suicide Squad. So yeah. the, this whole show is a tongue in cheek uh, satirical form um, that's meant to kind of just be blistering uh, action heroes and also um, workplace dramas. It is. Yeah. It stars John Cena as Peacemaker, uh, Daniel Brooks, uh, Freddie Stroma, uh, Chikwiti Awuji, Jennifer Holland, now uh, James Gunn's fiance, and Steve Agee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have the thing that kind of immediately took me this: the idea that like this very much is like many things James Gunn is famous for. It is a group of kind of ragtag people who really don't like each other at the beginning and slowly grow to become affectionate and kind of kind of warm towards each other. And it's literally about them like constantly stepping on each other's toes. This is going to sound a little familiar to several of the last two team things he did. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of which was also starring this exact character. But I think that, like, the way I really want to lead with this episode is by saying that I think Peacemaker as a whole is an articulation of a lot of things I think James Gunn has been trying to do. And things I've, if you've listened to our podcast long time, long term, I think I have been critical of him for doing in the past. And I, I think that this is a good articulation of a lot of those ideas that we're going to find, specifically, like, you know, his. Uh, viewpoints on like parental authority over their children their viewpoints on like how like we as individuals uh, perceive ourselves as good or bad things like using soundtracks instead of using an ost like these are little tiny tricks i think he has been kind of been climbing as a result of and this feels like a good articulation of all those things in one single show and that's why I ended up kind of coming across this show a little more positive than I was expecting. Like I said, we kind of already did our spoiler uh, spoiler warning, but I would give this show a thumbs up if you're interested in what was and what the show is pitching itself as. <laughs> would you agree with that, Joe? Yeah, um, I'm pretty hot on the show. I give it I, I give it two thumbs up if we want to if we want to give a formal rating. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think either of us are Siskel or, or Ebert. But um, um <laughs> but yeah, go watch it um if you haven't already because it's actually pretty short. Um, even when you look at it on HBO Max and they say they're forty five minute episodes, it's mostly ads and credits. So it's like thir- it's really like thirty thirty five minute episodes, and there's only like eight or nine of them. Yeah, yeah, and the whole show, like we said, because it's a, like very much pitches a work style place drama. There is like always the episodes are broken out into 
Here is like our cold open for like the silly hijinks of the episode that is somewhat indicative of where the theming of the episode as a whole is going to go. Right. And then it kind of gets into what is the task we're doing. Here's the A plot of the episode. And then slowly that you slowly realize, okay, that what we're really going to be focusing on this time is we're going to be focusing on uh, like, you know, Peacemaker's relationship with Vigilante or something like that. Right. And that's like, therefore you then see okay, like, here's what they're doing, and here's what they're feeling at the exact same time. And I think that that is something that's akin to something like The Office, per se, which is also, like, you know, a a workplace comedy made famous for also being, like, hey, sometimes the the A-plot is there's layoffs happening, but the B-plot is then realizing, like, kind of hearing what all the characters are, like, emotionally going through during this time of, like, what their relationship is to their job, what they feel like they don't have as an extension of it. And I think that that's where Peacemaker also really shines because mm-hmm. you also underst- like fundamentally understand what everyone's relationship to this like shit job they've all been handed is. Yeah. And, and Peacemaker is Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He yeah. is. Mm-hmm. He really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and so I don't know if we want to go, well, if we want to kind of go through the line here really quickly of the little crew they kind of assembled here. Really, just really quickly. I don't want to hold them like we kind of did our Guardians of the Galaxy episode. But was there one in particular that you, you really liked, Joe? Oh, uh, yeah. I liked Fiona um, a mm-hmm. lot. Um, I liked, I liked her because her relationship with her mother to me felt the most grounded. Um, yeah. And just like, I'm doing this job because she wants me to um Mm -hmm. she's also the most empathetic character in the show and that is her strength that that is what she interjects into this group is like hey maybe we should think about people instead of about Mm -hmm. murdering (laughs) just just maybe Mm -hmm. yeah so i really found a lot of affection for her yeah autobio is like she's like the clearly like the emotional heart of this show Mm -hmm. she's clearly the one that's an experience she is the you know the you know it's a common workplace style cliche of the newbie right she's Mm -hmm. she's the one completely new on the scene not accustomed to all the kind of shitty behavior that's going on around her and therefore it's also the voice for the audience to be oh hey this is actually this is fucked up actually kind of kind of the gym of this show in a way yeah Mm -hmm. the character we're trying to experience and everything else through yeah Mm -hmm. and also like it is meant to kind of parallel with with where um where specifically Peacemaker's out the whole show, where he is having, you know, a, a re-examination of where he wants to be. And so their relationship is kind of intrinsic upon both of them questioning what they're, well, like, what everyone around them is currently doing, and mm-hmm. what they themselves are doing by being a part of it. And naturally, when two people do that together, especially in a workplace, you do form a friendship. You do form a relationship. Yes. Like, at first... When I saw them two come together in like the first episode, I was just like, how the fuck are these two people going to be friends? <laughs> mm-hmm. And by the end of the season, I, I I bought it. I bought that relationship because that is what work does. <laughs> you experience yeah. you, you experience uh, you experience some wild shit. And then um, you if you come from the same same background or a completely different background as one of your coworkers, you. So long as you experience that same thing together, you're going to you're going to form some form of camaraderie behind that. Yeah. It just so happens that these two characters also have a lot of emotional, personal stuff that they can relate to as well and learn from each other. Yeah, they do a really good like buddy cop 
Like, you know, the uh, Peacemaker gets a lot of, like, friends, and he gets a lot of one-on-ones in this show in ways that I think are important for him to get, because mm-hmm. you really want to, like, stress his relationship with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that they have a very specific, like, uh, very specific heart to them, to the point where at the end of the series, when they're in the hospital wing together, and they're just kind of sitting side by side with one another, they do look like... <laughs> Man, they just look like a couple of coworkers that are that are just tired from the day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that does a lot to endear, uh, dear them both to each other, and also I think the audience to their, as you said, like to the believability of their relationship, because I think they are in, they are intentionally also characterized as complete opposites, right? Yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good foil. They're a good foil for one another. Mm-hmm. For me, for me personally, uh, I like Mern. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we already got our spoiler alert out of the way. I like. I knew it was going to happen that one of them was going to end up being a butterfly. That I was like, oh, who, who's it going to be, really? And it makes perfect sense. I like the notion that this that the, the butterflies uh, also aren't inherently evil either. That mm-hmm. there are some of them that also is... Uh, I wish it was more than just one. But I do like the notion that he still exists to... He still exists to point out like that there, there's a variety of perspectives to this uh, kind of uh, to the butterflies that kind of come down to earth mm-hmm. as well as also he's the source for a lot of the I think like he plays the straight man in ways that doesn't always feel like he's just playing the straight man. Right. He is just he is so furiously normal in comparison to everybody else, which makes sense when you find out he's a fucking butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, why is he the normal one? It's like, oh, he is desperately trying to. Mm-hmm. Like that that yeah. is what he's trying to do. <laughs> yeah. You you are social chameleoning in such a way because your life literally depends on it. <laughs> and then you just happen to insert yourself around the weirdest fucking people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, like, also, I think him being the leader of this, also, like, the leader of this rejected group of subordinates, essentially, mm-hmm. knowing that at any time someone could kind of like at any time, Amanda Waller could just, you know, pull them out and just kind of uh knowing that he's exposed, uh, expendable could really make, uh, makes his like position of authority over this small group, uh, really minimal <laughs> and mm-hmm. really, I think interesting, especially as he tries to relate or tries to, uh, communicate with the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's really just like, that's why he stands out to me so much. Also, he gets a sad end. That's true. Yeah, it is really sad. Um, with that scene, I really like, I, I mean, just to talk about that one scene in particular, I know we're talking big picture right now, but to to, yeah, good. to zoom in really small here, uh, so small that we're looking at a butterfly, I like that his death scene is not with his body, but with the butterfly itself inside. I, I, I didn't anticipate them doing that, but knowing that James Gunn is an animal activist, of course he would do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was... Um, that was really touching. I enjoyed that scene um, in spite of its sadness. But I yeah. guess that's kind of my vibe. I like sad things. Go listen to our Batman episode. Manages to hit harder than you expecting. And I think that that is, once again, kind of where we get to when you see this team eventually towards the end of the show kind of start to crumble apart, right? Is that you don't realize, much like the characters, you don't realize how much you've kind of grown to be attached to them as a unit, despite how you know dysfunctional and like, kind of awful large parts of them are, right? Because, like, outside of, you know, outside of Peacemaker, you know, a character like Vigilante, who who's characterized as just basically, like, like a near-walking incel. Yeah, <laughs> is, basically. Is, it, he, doesn't have, he doesn't really have an arc that, that Peacemaker does. 
No, apparently they're going to um, pursue that in the future. But yeah, mm-hmm. vigilante is more of just something to to bounce humor off of. And yeah. to and to look at if we were to take Peacemaker and take all of his self-awareness away, this is what he would become. Basically, he would become that. But even then, Vigilante does gain a form of of um of self-awareness. And he has something of a really weird moral standing. Like he's also mm-hmm. a bigot, but much like Peacemaker, he doesn't want to be a bigot. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking of the scene where he where he goes into prison. And then he just tries to beat yeah. the shit out of all the white supremacists. It's like, it's like, yeah, I didn't expect this character to do that, but this is what he thinks of himself as. So there is, I think there is an interesting arc headed for, for Vigilante at some point. Yeah. And you're kind of getting at something I think is really going to make the, the kind of the narrative theme through line that one of many narrative through lines for this whole show. That is like the good person beneath the kind of awful exterior, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, several times during this show, you know, Peacemaker is told, you know, underneath all that shit, you actually have a big heart. You actually have, uh, you actually are a good person underneath all that, Chris. And this is repeated by all of them. I think it's meant to apply to every single one of these characters, naturally, because it is a through line. And I think that with specifically Vigilante and with specifically Peacemaker, you do see that their moral authority comes from an external source. Their type of righteousness that, you know, even if Peacemaker is beginning to question it, does come from someone. And it does come from someone that's not inherently themselves. And them choosing to internalize them, internalize that to create that sense of righteousness within themselves, I think is meant to make them uh, unlikable and self-like kind of hating in a way that is clearly intentional. Mm-hmm. And clearly, like, thought out on behalf of, like, James Gunn and the various writers that also co-wrote some of the screenwriting for the for, this, uh, for these episodes. Mm-hmm. I think you, you pointed to a really good one, which was Vigil- Vigilante deciding to go into it on behalf of Peacemaker, too, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It was, was there another moment that you thought when, uh, like, specifically Peacemaker relating to one of his friends, or not friends, but co-workers, specific moment that kind of got to you a little bit? Honestly, I think it's like every moment when um, when he's caught for like racism or sexism Mm -hmm. and when he's just blatantly like, I didn't know that's what I was doing. Like um, there is um, like, for example, very early in the series, there's the scene at the bar where he's just like, you know, sweet cheeks like her face. Mm -hmm. No, that's not what that means. That's actually really Mm -hmm. sexist. and You shouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. He's like. I thought I was being I was thought I was being complimentary <laughs> like mm-hmm. like yeah you you're an idiot and you're a bigot but like you don't want to be and like he will be like oh I'm sorry he will he will apologize and he will learn from that um granted yeah. because he is ingrained with this bigotry with racism and sexism there's um there's an interesting uh note about homophobia in there as well but uh I I want to save that for something for a separate conversation because mm-hmm. that's its own can of worms. But he's he's taught all of this from his father. And at the end of the day, all Chris Peacemaker wants to do is just be liked. He wants to be like the Justice League. He wants to be as beloved as the Justice League. But mm-hmm. when all he knows is how to interact through fart noises and belittle other people through um, by marginalizing those people um yeah like that's you know he has to unlearn that 
And at the very least, he kind of wants to. Yeah, I kind of completely agree. I think that this is how this movie, this show, specifically mm-hmm. uses humor. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the idea of using humor as both this... It is intentionally done because I feel like so often people are like, oh, I'm just making a joke, right? And everyone makes a slip up, whether it be, like, a microaggression or even, like, a, a large kind of, like, huge uh, kind of racist remark or whatever bigoted remark. They will fall back on the nature of, oh, I was just making a joke or I was just trying to make light of the situation. And the, the 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 show intentionally denying Peacemaker the punchline in some of these moments, I think, does do that work to to underline that. But also showing that this intentional grab for humor is an extension of his desire to be liked, an extension of that desire to for uh, external validation, and the belief that by belittling others, you will then uh, bolster yourself, right? right? Mm-hmm. which is tied into Peacemaker's whole nature of like, oh, I will get peace by her, like, harming every everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a, a large grasp or reach to kind of uh, see like the, the connection between those two things. Um, and I think the one that always kind of comes to my mind is also what Adebayo is kind of going through, that like the entire time she is lying to her wife the entire time because... Yeah, she doesn't want her to be involved. She doesn't want her to be uh, in kind of harm's way. And we have this, like, clearly, you know, good-natured character lying constantly. Mm-hmm. And and it kind of, like, when she tries to be uh, forthright and earnest in the same way, people also, at her job, people also laugh at her. And mm-hmm. they belittle her in the same way. Because she is inexperienced and whatever, just her whole, like, her naive tendencies. It is a specific use of humor as showing just how mean and cruel it can be, specifically how it relates to both the the victim, the Joker, and the audience that surrounds them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, that is the extension of also happens a lot in Guardians, right? Where these characters all kind of make fun of each other a little bit. They make fun of each other so they can try to make the other members laugh too. Whether Mm -hmm. it be, you know, uh, Rocket and Drax or Peter and Rocket or whoever, right? There's a, like a specific play with humor that can't help but be like, okay, that's, I feel like that has a very nuanced understanding of the role in which humor works in our day to day, which is what a workplace drama does really well, mm-hmm. is exploring the nuances of your day to day environment. But I kind of, I kind of want to go to what you also said for uh, his relationship with his, uh, his dad, right? Yeah. We, I, spoiler alert, folks. We're talking about a dad narrative. Yep. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. And we'll, we'll kind of touch on this a little bit later, too. But wait, what do you what do you make of you have a little note here about James? Like, in my opinion, James Gunn has been focused on parenting, uh, caretaking in various capacities for the last three, you know, for like several of his works, his famous works. And it's not any different here. Uh, what are you what do you what do you make of what do you make of the white dragon, Joe? Well, I mean, he's very clearly just a clansman like everyone's wearing white hoods what i found really interesting about the white dragon is one like you know chris is constantly trying to make him happy he is he wants his father's approval and affection he's never going to get it um white dragon augie he he belittles his son and he has this sort of like um you know homophobic uh sense of humor towards his son that's really cutting and hurtful. He's also like plays at his intelligence. 
plays with ideas of toxic masculinity and that's where most of it sticks for the first half of this uh for the first like part of this season right we don't mm-hmm. understand that this man is explicitly like oh we we get that he's racist when he we he encounters um uh, the cops and that's like okay we kind of expect this of this man but we don't get the we don't get to the point like oh he is like basically a clans leader once he gets into prison and then his philosophy becomes even more entangled when he confronts his son in the uh the second to last episode yes i honestly need to watch that scene a couple times because a lot of dialogue is said very very quickly Mm-hmm. and it's very characterizing for augie and the type of bigotry that chris has been experiencing the entire time and learning from his father mm-hmm. um and trying to emulate it's like everything is actually based in christianity <laughs> And the idea mm-hmm. of pu- the idea of pushing Christianity for the sake of um, having a white nationalist, um, uh, heterosexist point of view. Um, yeah, there, you know, Augie has like an American flag upside down at his house. All this stuff is very like, so, like very subtly put in there. It's never overtly stated what his uh, his political opinions are, but you can judge from the the little pieces of text that are given to us um just from from the everything (laughs) from the everything Mm -hmm. but his the way in which he oppresses and wants to dominate his son as a way to exert his own form of power um because he's such a little person yeah like it makes sense that his son would would have a similar ideology with having creating peace by harming others because his son wants because he wants to push back from that right he's like my dad does hurt me but i want him to love me Mm -hmm. when he accepts that his father will never love him and that he is not a person worth love Mm -hmm. that's when chris makes the choice to kill him it's the heartbreaking nature of like kind of confronting all that and to you know john cena's credit i do think he kind of sells that scene really well yeah in that knowing this is right, but the kind of like destroying and detaching myself from these people who are from this person who's very clearly uh, harmful and kind of evil with a capital E, right? Mm-hmm. Like fundamentally means me and everyone around me harm, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like all the more reason why the relationships with everyone he's been talking to the whole show is so important because like, how does he get to that point? But having a different circle, that's not that person right and i think that it's it it is it is good because i do think it is um it it is indicative of like where this ideology does come from where it all that kind of like ham-fisted very forced uh violence uh you know ends uh, ends justify the means kind of mentality comes from but i think i think my only my only hang up here is just that like i think uh, you know, James Gunn, to all the things he he seems to have done pretty well in his work so far, in this work so far, is that, it, to me, he can't seem to see past individuals. And I think he can't quite see past how, uh, even if people are stand-ins for an ideology and stand-ins for whatever, something greater, I think, sadly, the White Dragon, you know, ends up being that kind of capital E evil for this series in ways that makes it feel like the stuff of of patriotism and jingoism like you've talked about top of this 
feel a little bit smaller and feel a little reductive as it's reduced to a caricature of this of this clansman. Not that that's some that an individual like out here doesn't exist, but in this show where we're kind of interrogating a lot of things. Yeah, for what is essentially you know a United States Warhawk uh, kind of um, person, mm-hmm. right? Like what he is and where he gathers all these things. It's like it's not just uh, you know it's not just this person. It's also the 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 institution that's also using him. And we kind of get that a little bit with Amanda Waller, but she's really only in the first and last episode, and then the last episode's through a voice call, right? Because um with amanda waller as a character if you want to tackle that the themes of it it's much more difficult because amanda waller is like she's in a position of government power and you would be mm-hmm. and like james gunn would be in the position of critiquing government power um mm-hmm. and military force and he kind of does that in the suicide squad if you watch that movie but here he's talking about a very personal story with chris so yeah um naturally he's not going to go into that but yeah, I, I could see how you could think of Augie as a caricature. Um, mm-hmm. There is an interesting line after after the fact of everything, um, after the plot, when Peacemaker makes the choice to kill the cow, which is feeding mm-hmm. the butterflies. And we haven't even talked about the ideology of the butterfly versus Peacemaker and all that shit. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's relevant we'll to, get Aug- to that. Yeah, but I think it's relevant to the conversation with Augie because um, Leona says to says to Chris you know like is this like i i how did you make that choice like Mm -hmm. you're a jingoist like why would you like this like is this a libertarian ideology i don't understand where your political philosophy is coming from and chris's response is i didn't want you guys to get hurt i care about you as people and so the overarching theme that james gunn is trying to approach here with this and even with the conversation with augie is is about individual relationships this work Mm -hmm. dynamic is like you said earlier is what allowed him to make this choice yeah and so for an individual to reject this overarching ideology that augie represents and maybe yes it can be it could seem belittled just because augie's wearing like a weird mech suit but (laughs) (laughs) he's an old man in a mech suit that that's got horns and and people are wearing bags in their heads that have horns somehow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, it, it can look a bit ridiculous, but I think and the way in which it seeps into our current day can be a bit more nuanced and subtle than that. I would mm-hmm. view this as the way in which it creeps into our society in a more nuanced and subtle way is actually through people like peacemaker and vigilante mm-hmm. no totally and i think i, I think i kind of get that and that's mm-hmm. why i think that like it's that weird double play of like this person because the show has essentially decided to make him the 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 redeemable character so to say and kind of cast vigilante as like like you said like a foil for how like how awful he could turn out to be it is making him the show has to tell me that there is good beneath peacemaker you know i think coming off of suicide squad i was not there <laughs> right. i don't think that like the whole like stress of individuals of it kind of weirdly doesn't matter what's in your heart if like your actions inherently are bad and mm-hmm. i think that that's 
weirdly where like it maybe loses me a little bit when I say a caricature of the the white dragon is specifically that like if you're if you're engaging with clansmen like ideology uh talking points bigotry as a whole the fact that they dress the way they do and look ridiculous as a means to dissuade people of their um of their like awful you know horrifically bigoted uh, ideology is text that's just how they operate in our world <laughs> and that is they're specifically riffing off of that but that's not quite what we get here we get someone who is intimidating with a capital i we get someone who is you know villainous maniacal uh, methodical right mm-hmm. and that's not quite the that's not quite how clans uh clansmen operate in our world sadly and it, like i said that's and i think ultimately boiling it down to this relationship between them uh, even if I understand it from a, from a narrative structure, does make me see this as like, oh well, this is just this doesn't have the 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 chips to cash in for me to feel like you get to earn the larger systemic critique if you're focusing on individual relationships, right? Mm. Uh, least of which when you are struck, well, least of which when you are trying to tackle so many systemic problems all at the same time. And going to your point. Yes, it tries to take on a lot of things. I think when we label this as bigotry, which is a pretty overarching term for a lot of things that can go along, mm-hmm. I think that's the best term we could use. You don't think this his moment feels earned. But what's interesting is that I think this char- like you sh- said, it is very in- it is a very individualistic show. Mm-hmm. The moment that's being earned is that he's making an individual choice not to engage with that anymore by killing Augie. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, of he's making and once again informed by his relationship with his friends, he makes the choice to save them while also coinciding with an idea of individual freedom, per mm-hmm. se. Because that's the choice that he makes when he kills the butterflies. He's like, but individual freedom, that's kind of important. And without individual freedom, I don't think if we want to get on a philosophical level, I don't think he would be able to make the choices that he is making, right? Of course. Yeah. I think Using this work and this show as an argument against ideological structures would be something of a logical fallacy. However, arguing using the show as an argument for as as like a really good case study for like, yeah, like a person can change and grow and learn and reject mm-hmm. bigoted ideology. Mm hmm. I think this is this is the best, like you said many times throughout this episode, this is James Gunn's best uh, try at it. Yeah, this is the best version of it I think he's probably mm-hmm. made of of telling this specific story of someone, of, or even of people of like, kind of like flawed people trying to be better, right? Mm-hmm. And flawed people who inherently are going to, like, and to his credit, I think all of his works do show those flawed people making pretty big mistakes, too. <laughs> Right, we could we could talk about um, we could talk about Yondu and the way in which he abused abused Star Lord as a kid, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's yeah, Yondu. Hell, even even uh, Bloodsport, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's all of them, right? Like that is mm-hmm. something. Even Quill, you know, even Star Lord himself, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them. I think he is not afraid to 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 make his heroes do bad things, or not even to do bad things, because that makes it sound a little too generic. But like, do things that are intentionally counter to what the audience and the even the plot of the story demands of them. Mm-hmm. 
Like, he's okay with having his protagonist run in a complete opposite direction because it just makes for a slightly more uh, interesting plot progression. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that, like, once again, that that's where I think that this show, in, in particular, does do a pretty good job of it. So, Michael, you know what's also a pretty good version of this podcast? Oh, my God. <laughs> what, Joe? Our trivia bit. Our trivia bit. The little version of our podcast is about, like, 10 to 15 minutes in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I agree. <laughs> so, once again, as with every single episode, as we uh, as we've been doing all season, um, Joe and I have been challenging each other. Every single episode with little bits of trivia that we set, that we kind of uh, pull and kind of gather together for uh, the little mini trivia, champion trivia in the middle of it. Uh, we are tallying points. At the end of every single episode, we'll tell you how many points both of, us, both of us have. And whoever has lower points at the end of the season will have to do a punishment. And we actually have a punishment idea now, right, Joe? Yeah, but maybe we should say that for the end of the episode, huh? Oh, okay. All right. Keep, keep them on their keep toes. Them waiting. Keep, yeah. keep them waiting. So... We have some trivia specifically right now about uh, our mostly about John Cena for being uh, we're being totally honest. <laughs> not, not so much peacemaker trivia, but Joe, I have a question for you. Is it can I see John Cena because I can't see him? <laughs> Do you know when John Cena began his weightlifting slash uh, strength career? Probably in high school, like every other gym bro. Uh, no, he was actually 12. He apparently started lifting weights when he was 12. Mm, kind of like peacemaker mm-hmm okay yeah, it's it's, it's kind of strange yeah uh do you know john cena's magic number his magic number this is a, this is a number that even came up in this show as i saw someone give an example of it um but yeah this is apparently a number that pops up in every a lot of things john cena is associated with four you know i will give you a half point because the number is 54 ah okay half point for 54 all right <laughs> it's happy you know it's it's one of the digits what's the bit in the episode um, where where it comes where it comes in uh i think it, it's apparently on like uh, a car that they're driving mm. that's what it said on the notes at least i don't know if that's okay. true i'd have to go watch that episode again mm-hmm. and lastly joe do you know the name of john Cena's famous meme meme famous theme song what's the name of the song i can sing it just just sing it just sing it i guarantee you'll get to it um i don't i don't know the name of the song michael i don't know the what's lyrics. the first lyric what's michael, the first lyric? i don't know the lyrics i only know the horns <laughs> the memes always end with the horns <laughs> are you really you do I don't not, know, are, I don't are, know you're not fucking song. with me here i'm not fucking with you okay the song is The Time Is Now. Oh my god, my time is up, my time is now. Fuck now. me. You can't see me, my time is now. My time is now. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought you were fucking, I was like, Joey, really? I don't know the name of the song. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Damn. Okay, alright. I have exact, I have gained one half of a point. Mm-hmm. Damn. Okay, let, let's see um, how many points you can gain out of this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. name the band who sings the theme song to Peacemaker. The song is called Do You Want to Taste It? 
you wrote this question and I also had a moment where I was like, oh my god, I saw the name every single time and I like, I do not remember it. Fuck. I don't know. <laughs> this is not our strong suit episode. Damn. We are not going to be a good musical podcast, are we? I, you know, this is actually, we'll get to that and but no, I actually don't know the name of the band. What's the name of the band? They are the fourth runner-up of Eurovision 20-something. The name of the band is called Wigwam. Would not have guessed that. Nope. <laughs> Damn. Okay, so, now Michael. Next question. What was John Cena's nickname in the WWE? Um... It's not like Superman, is it? No, you're right. It's Superman? Yeah. Okay, okay. Cool, cool, cool. I was like, I'm pretty sure I heard this somewhere, but yeah, it's it's Superman. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need you to name the song that Peacemaker plays on the piano. When he has that really, really interesting interlude and like solemn moment when he plays it, the piano. Is it Sweet Child of Mine? No, but an 80s hairband uh, song is a good guess. I don't know. What song is it? It is Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue oh you're right that is what it is but you got yeah. sweet in there and it's an mm-hmm. 80s hair metal band you're very close I, i'm gonna say you got a point and a half for that one because you got sweet in the title is that is that actually <laughs> dude i said four and you gave and it was 54 i All think right, it's fair enough it. fair enough okay <laughs> you know i guess we make the rules here i suppose mm-hmm. well how about that you know, that's actually a great way to kind of segue back into something that I think I want, I really want to go over, because this is something that I actually have no precedence over, because I really, like, I guess, audience, know I have no background in music, but music in this show, and like I said, a lot of James Gunn work as a whole really like to, he likes to use a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. He likes to, as Ben Wyatt says, make his own mixtape for the audience, so to say. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically... Of so many scenes in this show are of him dancing, singing, or just generally being uh, surrounding himself with music. Mm -hmm. Uh, After generally a heartfelt moment with someone, he kind of listens to a song and kind of uh, lets like kind of lets it wash over him several times. And I wish I had more of like a music theory background, understand like the specific choices being made, but I can't seem to deny the idea that this is intentional throughout the entire show, right? That like music as a means for him to be able to express himself in these moments where he is, uh, he will allow himself to feel all of the overwhelming emotions he does throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, Joe, like what do you, well, I guess like, did you, did you feel a similar way? Did you did you like this? Did you pick up on this? Do you know, have anything of note here? Because I'm really just noticing a trend. <laughs> I do. I'm going to combine music theory with queer theory for a second. Um, of course. So as as we know, like 80s hair metal band is specifically associated with um, hyper masculinity within this time mm-hmm. period and within people who carry through to that music to this day. Um, I myself mm-hmm. was a really big fan of 80s hair metal uh in middle school and early high school and i used to listen to the serious X- xm station hair nation very frequently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so all these like weird like obscure uh band references like firehouse 
like yeah i got that um Mm -hmm. i i get the i get who you're referencing here but what i found particularly interesting about it is the way in which he does find freedom throughout music um he can find self-expression like john cena views peacemaker as a queer character yeah and it's very easy to look at the style and the hyper masculinity and specifically the sexual the hypersexuality of 80s hair mm. metal as leaning so far into masculinity that it looks kind of gay <laughs> yeah totally it's it's men with gorgeous hair usually shredded and shirtless and a little bit sweaty and they're kind of mm-hmm. getting some high-pitched voices and touching their crotch a little bit. And you know, yeah. that's great. And so with when when Peacemaker is trying to assert himself and his individuality through this music, I can't help but think there might be something queer under the surface still bubbling there. Um mm-hmm. I could I could see how John Cena could could read into that. Um mm-hmm. and see it that way. I think with the way in which like music can like connect other people and how like it isn't just like um, they get other members of the crew to get in on their rock sessions whenever they're in a car. Mm-hmm. It, it At first, it's just Peacemaker and Vigilante, but everybody else joins in at some point um, yeah. and can bond over it. it it's it's mm-hmm. it's the same effect that we as viewers of the show get when we watch the introduction every time i'm not sure Mm -hmm. how you know i can't speak for every viewer of peacemaker but if you enjoyed the theme song and you aren't into 80s hair metal then but you but you enjoy the song then you're partake you're participating in that cultural experience of enjoying this music um yeah and bonding over it right i i just i i just think do you want to taste it is such a profound song Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to I mean, and to your credit, I think to to add to that, I think the number one, the first, the first thing I noted was that when he's in the apartment of the butterfly he sleeps with, mm-hmm. um, I think he says specifically, "Do you know what made this time of music so good?" Was that oh god, I'm gonna mess up the quote a little bit here, but it's something to the effect of, uh, "What made the music here so good is men weren't afraid to be women." And this specific kind of play with, like, the blending of both uh, gender and sexuality that is going to be confirmed later, like you said, in the show, I think that is what is... There's no denying that, right? There's no denying that that is is the text of what this character uh, is doing. uh, And, like, this kind of connection to uh, a voice or something that is an outlet equally, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I think you're absolutely right. I think that like those are the moments where it feels like this song isn't just here for substance to make a good montage, essentially. Right. It's here to illuminate this character feeling an emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Much like how people have playlists for specific emotions, right? Yeah, I'm, it's- I'm sure um, James Gunn has a playlist that he listens to when he's writing different kinds of scenes, different playlists yeah. for different scenes and different feelings. Yeah. And so I think that as a result, I think that music really does make it, it really, it really sells his character because he also does have specifically the thing of when he's not doing this, he pushes other people away, right? Mm-hmm. He, he is, he even says it himself, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, you're a dick. 
you push other people away and so like this is something he kind of knows about himself and so weirdly i think when he does play music we kind of get to see the back and forth of that of him also trying to invite others to you know to to, to bond over the exact same thing right mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know if it makes it like you know super like you know super like the best parts of the show but i do think it makes it feel like it's not just uh it's not just style right it makes it feel like this all kind of like serves a purpose so to the point when hardcore takes her like selfie with the group yeah like that little like that little uh captured moment in time between all of them truly did feel like a bittersweet memory right at the end mm-hmm. of the by the end of the show because everybody uh was in it and everybody was was a part of the music at that moment yeah james gunn understands that music connects people i'm glad he takes advantage of that so well in all of his films you know, I, you know, ragging on the ragging on the dad stuff a little bit earlier. I do think once again, if there's going to be a story that focuses on dad stuff, I think it this once again this might be the one to do it. Uh, you know, I mean that's not true. There are other stuff I think interrogates specifically patriarchal figures as both uh, complicated and nuanced. But I think that for specifically Peacemaker, having uh the having the his dad take the form that he does works specifically here just because he is a character defined by external validation he is a character Mm -hmm. who so eagerly you know wants that and like that is made text several times from all of his relationships to with the exception of maybe vigilante who because they are the closest he's the one who he's the most like cruel towards right you know sometimes you don't want the validation of your brother right yeah, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, Vigilante, he, Vigilante feels like a younger brother character, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Even though, in the narrative of the story, um, Chris accidentally kills his older brother, you know, at the request of his father, who wants to make mm-hmm. money off of his son's fighting, because um, yeah. he's a piece of garbage. Yeah. Yeah, like, Vigilante plays an interesting role and dynamic in uh in peacemakers relationships but um but yeah once again i think the dad narrative is in this sense warranted not just because of peacemakers need for external validation but because of the type of narrative of peacemaker learning his toxic behaviors from his parents like this is psychologically this makes sense you know, this is like, once again, kind of why, like, I'm not perfect on this show that is like, that is trying to, to, to probably make the, you know, the white dragon, the capital B, uh, bigot kind of thing. I think the thing it does nail, I don't think it quite nails everything, but I think one of the many things it does nail is that it nails like, what is it? What is a patriarchal, toxic patriarchal form take the form as? And that is the white dragon. That is Augie. And that is like the behavior he is specifically instilling in Chris in these moments. I think that that is the something that I think also, like I said, James Gunn has been in conversation with, like you said, with Yondu and Quill, with, with specifically Peacemaker and Bloodsport in the last movie, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that this is probably, I think, if there's going to be a form to do it, I think that this style makes a lot more sense because this type of like, like I said, if we're going to get down to that individual relationship, who does teach, the, who who is a, who is a facilitator of a patriarchal norm, but a dad, right? Mm-hmm. But a father, a literally like the, 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 the spearhead for patriarchy, right? And so 
I think it makes it makes more sense in my brain in this show and doesn't feel like it's distracting from a larger narrative that the show doesn't want to that this show is also attempting to tackle right mm-hmm. there's not a, there's not a more interesting story about a, a very tired rat girl <laughs> who is who's, who's more fun to watch while I'm having to listen to peacemaker's daddy issues you know yeah i i you know i miss rat catcher <laughs> me too me too me too and yeah, like, and, and you know, once again, I, I won't, once again, I'm ragging on him a little bit, but I, I won't be entirely me and say that, like, I think this is just something plenty of storytellers do, right? Like plenty of writers, directors, whoever, uh, do tell similar stories to, uh, you know, it, because that's just either what's on their mind or what's mm-hmm. occupying them or they just, what they think is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes a storyteller just tells the same story over and over again until they get it right. Because it's just, that's what it means to kind of uh, grapple with something. And I think that that is, uh, if you're going to look at James Gunn's work as a whole up until this point with Peacemaker, I do think that that is uh, an intentional through line. Uh, and it, almost like he, each one kind of was clambering at something a little bit different. And this one like finally kind of got down to, okay, but this actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I think it actually sticks to landing there uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And... We've, we've, we've kind of been touching upon this list, and this is this is going to be kind of closer to... We're getting closer to time here. And so I kind of want to talk about this as our kind of our wrap-up thoughts here. In that... This is the interesting thing to me about this show, and this is, like, why I... You know, I don't I don't think the show is perfect. I don't think the show... I wouldn't even recommend the show to everyone. Oh, definitely not. It's definitely not for everyone. <laughs> and so, like, I think it comes back to the idea of, like... What is the intention behind crafting a character like this that is intentionally so flawed, intentionally so whatever? And it's like, if you don't want to watch this white guy be an awful person for eight episodes, totally understand that. Like, mm-hmm. you, like that you can you could not watch this show and that'd be totally fine. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it, it is that kind of like double think of this person is a bad person or this person is behaving awfully regardless of how they feel right regardless of how what they intend or what they uh want to do and i think at times i think the show knows that but i don't know if entirely we come all the way around on peacemaker towards the end and that's where i feel the most kind of like clutter in my head about this show and what prevents me from giving it like the the, the full two thumbs up like this is great i love this actually um or perhaps it's just not my vice i'll say that i like to focus on you know <laughs> Sure. No, that's that's totally fair. Um, especially when, like, due to the nature of the the genre that James Gunn plays in, we have seen almost all of his work. Um, mm-hmm. So we've seen this trope. He, we've we really have seen him work that work out this trope for a while. I would say this is the one that hit the most for me. I totally agree. This is his best interpretation of this type of um, uh, bigoted character learns to be less bigoted and empathize with mm-hmm. other people. I think it does so in such a practical way for Chris. It, you know, you know, um, maybe his dad is a bit oversimplified, and maybe the the all the themes going along with that are are a bit watered down. But with Chris himself and the way in which he really does desire external validation, and he really does want approval from his father, yeah, I get that. I empathize with that a lot. I, I found this show to have a lot of empathy, which is great because I think it's often that we watch 
popular television or, or films and even in superhero films where we kind of don't want to empathize with the characters like the writers mm-hmm. don't know how how to really grapple with that gonna pick on batman versus superman because i am um yeah, i don't think Zack snyder wants to empathize with batman or superman uh, <laughs> no um I'll, I'll even say like tony stark to some extent is a character that i think some 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 mcu writers and directors have a hard time trying to find an empathy for like i think we as an audience can project onto that but i think the writers have a hard time trying to create that sense um mm-hmm. So with with this, for for James Gunn to have pulled to, I think, have pulled it off to pull off a feasible like this is why this character is this way and this is how this character can't change. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's incredible. And I, I really recommend the show for that sense. But like you pointed out, Michael, if you don't like this type of person, that's OK. You don't have to watch a show. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I I know. I, I agree. I think I think specifically, I think the thing I get caught up on is something like we just watched Hawkeye. I'm relatively, you know, relatively hot on Hawkeye. Just that, like, it was just fun to watch, uh, or it was just slightly better than I was expecting. But that show wants you to have empathy for Clint, right? And yes. when I feel like he really doesn't deserve it, right? Like I feel like he's an <laughs> I feel like Clint. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a kind of a shithead, and I feel like it can't it doesn't quite earn the whole double think of, hey, I'm a bad person, but I'm also trying to be better, right? Mm-hmm. It's just. He had to this bad thing, and it's like, we feel bad for him. You know, we know he does bad things, but we still feel bad for him. And I think, like we said at the top of this, James Gunn does at least intentionally make Peacemaker act in in antagonism towards the everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. At moments where, yes, he is clearly in the wrong several times. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is important. Least of which, maybe it's just like the slightly educational part of my brain that like, what I sometimes view as a narratively fulfilling arc is a character who fundamentally has something to learn, right? Mm-hmm. And if this one is an empathetic one, I think it makes sense for him to sincerely have learned to feel empathy for other people, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that as a result, I still agree with you that, like, you know, when the show does best is that interpersonal relationships between all these characters and him learning to care about them or, or specifically overcome his poor behaviors and his, like, poor uh like his poor everything <laughs> doesn't have poor abs fair enough <laughs> john cena looking great but yeah i guess uh honestly you know what i've been i've been debating this whole episode i'm gonna do it i'm gonna give peacemaker the champion belt i was not expecting that when i started this show but i think you know what peacemaker gets the belt and i'll probably give this show like I'll give this show eight sadly, horrifyingly looked uh, eagle CGIs out of ten. Oh my god! You you think that you think that you think Eagly looks bad? Yeah. Do you not? I think Eagly looks really good. What for a television show? Oh, I mean, yeah. And the fact no, that actually, no, I still think it looks bad. I still think Eagly looks bad. Wow. That is a fake-ass bird. <laughs> wow. Rude as fuck. No, that I is a fake-ass bird. I think it looks better than, than like, see, like, Iron Man looks in half of his movies. I'm not an Iron Man fan, so... I'm talking about the armor, but... Yeah, I get you. Anyway, um, that's rude to Eagly, but I'm glad he gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, 
which is weird to say that I'm probably going to give it like seven out of ten specifically eagle hugs. Mm hmm. Because I recognize that this show is not for everyone. Um, oh. like this, the, like I, I personally, for me and my own enjoyment, would say eight out of ten eagle hugs. But to recommend to other people, there is the off chance that yeah, you may be put off by this character or the way in which it tries to play with this character's sense of humor. Because you mm-hmm. could read it the wrong way, or it could just genuinely be offensive to you, and that's okay. So, mm-hmm. anyway, 7 out of 10 eagle hugs. Um, mm-hmm. And I I also think, I, I think Chris Peacemaker deserves the deserves the champion belt, because he has mm-hmm. learned. And, and the way in which he learns, specifically, is the way in which long-form storytelling kind of works. Like within mm-hmm. the narrative of this story, it makes sense that he learned a sm- like a small lesson in the grand scheme of things, but a big lesson for him as a person. Yeah, he has a lot of room to grow, and I'm excited to see what se- how season two is going to play with that. Yeah, we'll um, see. Especially with the ghost of his dad haunting him, I think that that's an interesting narrative device um, that they can play with moving forward. But yeah, um, I enjoy the show. Uh, I enjoy the music in this show. I enjoy the message it tries to imbue upon the main character of this show. I think it does. I think it does its comedy well. Uh, I think the few action sequences are that are in it are are pretty good. Oh, yeah, because we didn't talk about that at all. We didn't did even we? talk about the action sequences. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, they're fine. Yeah, they're like once again, they're good for television. Um, yeah, they play up the idea that like we have John Cena on set. Let's make it kind of look like a WWE fight. Everyone's smashing into shit. That's cool. I like seeing a toilet mm-hmm. break. Now, yeah. <laughs> um, I think what we should do, Michael, is we should probably, um, now that we've given up our thoughts, maybe we should talk about where our score's at and what is going to be the punishment to recap for this episode in terms of our points for our ongoing competition. Michael now has 11 points and Joe now has 11 points, so we are tied. However... We now have a punishment that is going to um, that's going to be set upon us uh, at the end of the season. Uh, the loser will have to basically undergo a round of uh, Champion Caster's version of Hot Ones, where mm-hmm. for a whole episode, one, the loser will have to eat 10 wings with four different uh, levels of spicy hot sauce while being asked mm-hmm. questions about this season of the podcast from their favorite episodes uh, regarding... Yeah. The episode itself, um, the subject matter of that episode, um, we'll come up with some really fun questions for each other when we get around then. Um, so I hope y'all are rooting for one of us to lose. Honestly, if you have any questions too, feel free to hit us up. And we would love to, we would also love to make it also like a fan question kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, you want maybe just clarification. It would just be fun to also have that uh, submitted as well. But I'm excited. Honestly, Loki always wanted to... I, Joe, once again, I said this off mic that regardless of who loses, we kind of got to aim for a tie now, right? Because I think we both like spicy food. Yeah, we <laughs> and do. So we both kind of want to be trying like just to, you know, just to see, just to see how hot it would get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. I think this is a fun punishment. But, uh, yes, uh, really excited for that. Like I said, feel free to hit us up on our socials or email us. Mm-hmm. at champions uh championcasters at gmail.com or our twitter champion underscore cast but for now i think that's all we got this week right joe yep <laughs> thank you very much for listening everyone and
we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Champion Casters. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at champion underscore cast. You can also email us any of your thoughts or questions at championcasters at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd like to give thanks to the following. Shan Theobald for our logo artwork. Adam Renroe for our intro and outro music. Joseph Tomlin for managing our social media. And Michael Ruiz for editing our episodes. <laughs> and I have been your host, Michael Ruiz. You can find me at twitter.com at next underscore entry. And the video essays I write on my YouTube channel, Next Entry. I have also been your host, Joseph Tomlin. You can find me at twitter.com and Instagram at joke Tomlin. That is J-O-U-K-T-O-M-L-I-N. Thanks again for listening, everyone.